Well, good morning again. It is great to be here, and I hope that all the fathers are uh, getting to eat some of their chocolate bars. I already had a nice parenting moment with uh, the chocolate bar actually being for me, not for my sons who are bagging, if, in case you heard what the noise was back there. Everything's a, a, a parenting moment. They never, they never go away, it seems. But uh, it's a good morning, because we as a church family, God continues to bless us uh, with, with growth, with children being born, and we're, we're so happy. I know Matt and Heidi aren't here this morning, but so happy for them to hear that another baby girl was born safely into the world, so we're thrilled for them. And uh, it seems like things go in trends, don't they? We had, we had a, a trend of boys for a while, and now it's like it's, it's flipped to girls, and now there's been nothing but girls being born for a while now, it seems like. So we'll see if it flips back. So we're, uh, we're so blessed, though, as a church family, to have so many children in our care. Would you bow with me again, and let's pray as we ask God's blessing on the word. Heavenly Father, thank you again that you have given us the greatest gift of all through Jesus Christ, and that that has been revealed to us through the gift of your word, <clears throat> and that by your word we have the full revelation of what you've done for us. Everything we know uh, is because of this gift, and we thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, that as we open again your word today, that it's alive and active, it's for us, and you have a message for each one of us. Lord, thank you especially that you have a word for fathers today. And Lord, I pray that we would receive it and be encouraged and challenged to continue to be uh, the fathers, the men that you have called us to be, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I begin this morning with a caveat that it being Father's Day, I'm going to be specifically addressing fathers, but the principles within this morning's message, I believe, apply in different ways to absolutely everyone. So I'll leave it to you to make your own applications uh, or translations to your context as necessary. Now, this morning, I want to begin by sharing with you two separate stories of two different men, and I have some pictures that go along with it, so I hope that they're going to work, and uh, we're going to go through this story. So, I'm going to hit the first button here and see if the first picture pulls up, and then we'll go. There it is. All right. So... The first story is of a man named Butch O'Hare. Now, Butch O'Hare, you may recognize the name O'Hare because it is the name of the world-famous Chicago O'Hare International Airport, and it's named after him. Now, the aircraft in this picture is one that, if you've ever been through Chicago O'Hare Airport, you will have seen this airplane because this fighter plane is the one that's parked there that helped make Butch O'Hare famous. Now, you see, Butch O'Hare was a fighter pilot, and he was assigned to the aircraft carrier, the USS Lexington, during the Second World War. It was about 10 weeks after the attack on Pearl Harbor when O'Hare, flying combat air patrol along with his wingman, spotted a group of nine Japanese bombers heading straight for his aircraft carrier, the Lexington. The already slim odds of two against nine were further reduced when O'Hare's wingmen reported that his guns were jammed. He was useless and out of the fight. Undeterred, Butch still single-handedly dove in on the attackers. Though outnumbered nine to one, with astonishing skill and bravery, Butch O'Hare emerged victorious, shooting down five of the nine Japanese bombers and badly damaging a sixth. 
Not a single bomb made it through to the Lexington or her 2,000 crew members that day. Following his actions, Butch O'Hare was designated the U.S. Navy's first ace of World War II. And he was later summoned back to the United States to, give, to be given their highest award possible, the Congressional Medal of, of Honor. In the White House ceremony, President Roosevelt himself hung the medal around his neck. And he described Butch O'Hare's actions as one of the most daring, if not the single most daring action in the history of combat aviation. But sadly, Butch O'Hare did not survive the war. He was killed in action on November 26, 1943. However, his name will forever be memorialized as a U.S. hero and his name attached to the O'Hare International Airport. Now, story number two is a little bit different. It's about a man named Easy Eddie. Now, Easy Eddie was a millionaire lawyer, and he's on the right of the picture. He became involved with a very famous man who you may already recognize on the left of the picture, who is none other than the infamous gangster Al Capone. Now, Easy Eddie was a man who burned with personal ambition, and he had obtained the patent rights to the mechanical rabbits that were used in dog racing. The, the rabbits go around the track and the dogs chased after them. So having the patent to these uh, devices with only some small modifications, he was able to easily fix the dog races to their advantage. And so working together with El Capone, they raked in the money. In addition, Easy Eddie also performed a variety of other legal services for the Capone mob. Quite simply, Easy Eddie's name said it all. He was the epitome of a sleazy and corrupt lawyer. However, there was another side to Easy Eddie. He was also a father. He had a son and two daughters who he loved dearly and was in many ways a good dad to them. He put them in the best schools and attended their school productions and sporting events and would even take them camping on occasion. But there was one thing Eddie's money couldn't buy. Integrity and respectability. When Eddie's son finished high school and declared that he wanted to go into the Naval Academy at Annapolis, they learned you needed more than money to be accepted. You needed the approval of the congressman for your state, something that the son of the notorious lawyer Easy Eddie would never, ever be granted. And Eddie finally realized, and he became convicted of how his corrupt life, his manner of making his income, it had actually become a barrier to his son's future. And what was certainly a very difficult decision, Eddie finally decided that it was time to begin making amends. And so knowing the danger, in the year 1930, he approached the authorities and indicated that he would be willing to turn against Al Capone. The lead investigator, Agent Frank Wilson, later said of Eddie, On the inside of the gang, I had one of the best undercover men I have ever known. And it was upon the basis of Eddie's insider knowledge and testimony that Al Capone was finally convicted and sent to prison for 11 years for income tax evasion, which crippled his criminal empire. Following this, Eddie's son was accepted into Annapolis. But for Eddie, the danger of what he had done was very real. The murderous and vindictive Al Capone had sworn that he would kill Eddie. And shortly after Capone's early release in 1939, while driving home from work, Eddie was ambushed by two gunmen. His car left crashed and riddled with bullets. 
And police declared that Eddie had been killed instantly upon the attack. Now I know what some of you are thinking right now. What do these two stories have to do with each other? Some of you may have heard the story or already suspected the connection. Because you see, Easy Eddie's full name was Edward Joseph O'Hare. And the celebrated war hero, Butch O'Hare, was none other than Easy Eddie's son. This is a picture of father and son together when Butch was just a little boy. Now, while the son's name and fame have forever been memorialized by Chicago's O'Hare International Airport, history has looked back on his father with very mixed reviews. Was he a villain or a hero? Someone who got what he deserved in the end or a martyr in a just cause? Well, I think the truth isn't quite so clear-cut. I think Eddie was a man who, like everyone, had both good and bad things about him. He was a man who struggled with sin. He struggled with the lure of wealth and power. But he also wanted to be a good father, and he wanted to set a good example for his family. And so whatever else is said about his life, the fact remains that in the end, Eddie took responsibility for his actions. He accepted the risk, and he did what was right. And this clearly made a tremendous impact on his son's life as well. But I often wonder, in reading and hearing about this story, I wonder how often Eddie might have looked back at this exact photo, a prized possession of him and his young son, and, not re- and, and possibly looked back on it with regret at not having changed his ways sooner. For following his murder in his pocket, the police found a cross and a poem written by Robert H. Smith, which Eddie had clipped out of a magazine, and the poem is entitled, Life's Clock. It reads, The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or early hour. To lose one's wealth is sad indeed, to lose one's health is more, to lose one's soul is such a loss that no man can restore. Now is the only time you own. Live, love, toil with a will. Place no faith in time, for the clock may soon be still. The words to this poem fit right in with a very key teaching throughout Scripture. Our Scripture passage from this morning was Psalm 39, verses 4 to 7. And I want to read that again for you. It says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. So here we see in Scripture two pathways laid out for us. And the first, the negative pathway, is the pathway of the fool. The person who does not measure or appreciate the fact that life is but a mere shadow. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It passes so quickly in the light of eternity. He's someone who believes that it will just go on indefinitely. And so living their life with that sort of a mindset, they rush about vainly. 
pursuing things that will not last, frantically trying to heap up wealth, heaping up possessions, not even knowing if they or more likely someone else will enjoy it after them. Then thinking that they are secure, thinking that their life will go on uh, indefinitely, they waste their days and opportunities on futile pursuits, essentially sleepwalking their way through life. But then the end of this pathway is that one day they will finally be surprised to stumble into eternity completely unprepared. Does that sound at all like anyone you may know? Does that sound at all like the way most people in our culture live their lives? In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 to 17, we are given the antidote to the fool's way of life. And this is what it says. The Apostle Paul writes, This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so here we see that the pathway of wisdom, the pathway of the wise, is to wake up. Wake up and recognize how brief this earthly life is in comparison to eternity. Then understanding that the Lord's will for us is to not live for temporary gain, not to live for the the pleasures of this world that are here today and so quickly gone tomorrow, but to live in such a way that we have eternity in mind, to live for eternal rewards for the things that will last. And then seeking to carefully live their life out with those things in mind, in an intentional manner, to wring every last drop out of every last opportunity that life presents us with. This is God's will. This is God's pathway, the pathway of wisdom. So let me ask all of us, how might your life, how might my life look different? How would our priorities change if we lived every day of our life with this attitude, if if we would wake up tomorrow morning and just remind ourselves, this day is numbered. This day is numbered. In fact, the the scripture also tells us, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So we wake up in the morning and remember, whatever number of day this is, if this is day 7,800 or if it's somewhere else, whatever the number is, this day is numbered. And I'm never getting this day back again. Today is a numbered day, and we're never going to live this day again. This is the only time we will ever live this day in our lives. We can't go back to it. So if we reminded ourselves of that tomorrow morning when we wake up, this day is numbered. I'm not getting it back. How can I invest it in eternity in the most wise manner? What would that look like if we started every day with that question? How can I invest this day in in the most wise manner possible? How can I invest this day in eternity? And now, though we all right now recognize the power and the potential of living our lives every day with that attitude, what often acts as a barrier, and I've seen this so many times in my own life, what often acts as a barrier is that our past failures or regrets, or we look in the rearview mirror and see all of those wasted opportunities back there, that we can't get back, and they kind of drag us down. Regret drags us down. Failure of the past drags us down. And chances are good 
that if you are a dad here today, you already have more than a few of those in your rearview mirror. If you're a dad today, chances are you might even be struggling with how do I live up to this high calling that God has placed on me to be a man of faith and character and courage? How can I be the man that the Bible says who is to love his wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church? How can I be the man who teaches his kids diligently, who, who talks with them about these things along the way when we, when we rise up and when we go to bed? How can I be that man? And how can I be the man who loves my kids unconditionally, even when they fail me or disappoint me and go away from the path I've laid out for them? If that describes you in any way struggling with those things, then let me just say, join the club. Join the club. There is only one perfect father. Only one. And guess what? It's not you, and it's not me. There's only one perfect father, and his throne is in heaven. And so every other father who has ever lived in the history of the entire world has struggled and failed at some point in some way, and many of them in spectacular fashion. The very first father failed, in fact. Adam, he failed in protecting his wife. He failed in, in, in guiding and nurturing his two sons. He failed to see the feud brewing between them. There's no, there's no mention of Adam intervening in any way. And the very first two sons end up one murdering the other. The list goes on from there. Noah, the man who saved the entire human race, and yet he failed in the aftermath, getting drunk, his children seeing his nakedness. We saw the example of Abraham, a father called out to be the father of nations, and yet he had many failures along the way. Isaac, Jacob, Eli, Samuel, all of them God-fearing men, but all of them, Scripture records, failed their children in different ways. Perhaps the most famous of all is the example of King David. Though described as a man after God's own heart, David failed in the worst possible way with adultery, murder, and deception. And we then see the consequences play out in David's many, many children. David's firstborn son Amnon raped his half-sister. David's secondborn son Absalom usurped David's throne and even slept with David's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. David's fourth-born son, uh, Adinijah, he usurped his brother Solomon's throne against the will of God. And finally, David's seventh-born son, Solomon, though he began his reign as king well by asking God for wisdom, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, later forsook the pathway of wisdom. He went to the pathway of the fool, and he violated almost every single law that God had laid out for a king. And it began when Solomon took even more pagan wives than his father had before him, some 700 wives, 300 concubines, and he allowed all of them to bring their false pagan idols with them into the, into the country. They eventually even got set up in their own temples in Jerusalem, and Solomon himself even worshipped with his wives at their false idols. And we could see where it goes on from there. We could go into Solomon's sons and grandsons, but time would simply not allow. The point is clear. All of these fathers, yes, God called them, God used them. Many of them were God-fearing men. Yet they failed. And David's failure as a leader, husband and father, Let's just face it, it was absolutely massive. But David's story again demonstrates a very important thing. 
that no matter how bad a man fails, no matter how far he falls, what matters most is whether or not he is willing to repent, to get back up again, and to keep going. No, David could not undo all of the consequences of his actions, nor could he go back and reclaim the time that he had squandered. But by the wonderful grace of God, he could receive forgiveness, and through God's strength, David could redeem the time and make the most of every opportunity for however many days he still had left. And in the same way, Easy Eddie O'Hare's life demonstrates that it's never too late to step out of the darkness and into the light. It's never too late to wake up and seize the opportunities that God still has in front of you today. For Eddie's courageous actions, coupled together with that cross and the poem that they found in his pocket, it gives us a strong indication that not only had he repented of his crimes and made amends with his fellow man, but that he had also, and more importantly, repented of his sins to God and received his forgiveness and was endeavoring to live every day of his life, making the most of every opportunity. Or as the King James Version puts it, redeeming the time. You see, Eddie couldn't go back and undo his crimes. He couldn't reclaim the time that he had squandered, but he realized that he could redeem and make the most of whatever time he still had left. And it's the same way for each one of us today. I and you, none of us, we can't go back and undo our mistakes. We can't reclaim our wasted time. But by the grace of God, we can redeem whatever time and however many days we still have left. However many more he has allotted to each one of us. And so whether you're already into your senior years of life and you already recognize that your days are running short, or whether you're on the youthful side of life and you still feel like you have that infinite number of days left, whatever side of the spectrum you are or somewhere in the middle, all of us need to recognize that not one of us knows how many days we have left. Both statistics and personal experience inform us that it is highly, highly likely that there are some of us here younger who will pass away before those of us who are older. And even if we were guaranteed a certain number of days and years to live, which we are not, but if we were, one of the things that I have found to be very true is that the older you get, the faster time seems to fly by. Another poem entitled Time's Paces by Henry Twell explains it perfectly. It goes like this. When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I waxed more bold, time strolled. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I daily grew, time flew. Soon I shall find in passing on, time gone. Life is brief, and then it accelerates. That's just what I'm finding. Like, I I can't believe I've got a seven-year-old and these different things. It feels like just yesterday I was holding a baby boy. Time is running, and it is flying. But when we recognize the brevity of life in the light of eternity to come, let me ask you this question. What if? What if... Every last husband and father in this room today, what if he resolved to completely abandon himself to the will of God? What if we chose to love our wives more passionately? 
What if we taught our kids to love and serve God more intentionally? What if we deliberately sought to work a little bit less so that we could be with our families a little bit more? What would happen if we all woke up tomorrow morning with that as our primary aim? Now, I can't tell you all of the specifics of how it's going to go or how it's going to look, but I have a very strong hunch that if we were to do that, our lives, our wives, our kids, our church, our friends, and our world would all be the better for it. So what are we waiting for? We know God's will. We know that he will be with us. And we know that he will help us. We also know that if we fall, he will provide forgiveness to those who repent with a sincere heart. And so the only thing that he won't give us is more time. Because he has given each one of us our allotted days. And how we use them he leaves up to each one of us. And so to my fellow dads here today, whether new dads or old hands or even future dads-to-be, let me encourage you with this. It's never too late to begin to be the man, the father, the husband, the grandfather that God has called you to be. Today is a day that you can make peace with the regrets of the past. Bring them to God in prayer, and then resolve again to make the most of every opportunity, and in God's strength, redeem the time for however many days that God has left for each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so gracious. Thank you that we see your wonderful mercy and grace at work in the life of Eddie O'Hare. Thank you that we see it at work in the life of David. And thank you, O Lord, thank you that we see it at work in our lives today. I thank you for it personally, and I thank you for it on behalf of each husband and father in this room today. And I pray, Lord, that as we've been challenged of how we will live our days will define our lives, how we make use of the opportunities you present us with, how we make use of our time, O Lord, you leave to us, but you will hold us accountable. And so, Father, we pray that today we would choose the pathway of wisdom, that we would recognize where we have been walking on the fool's pathway, squandering our days, pursuing the wrong things, rather than pursuing you and your righteousness ahead of everything. And so, Lord, I pray that where priorities need to change, help us to have the strength and the clear-eyed determination to say, I'm going to make a change, and then get specific about how that's going to look. And I pray, Lord, if nothing else, that we would have it lodged in our minds when we wake up tomorrow morning. This day is numbered. I can only spend it once. How will I invest it? And Lord, that applies to every last one, whether mother, father, boy, or girl, it doesn't matter. You've given each one of us a number of days to use, and you want us to invest them in eternity. Help us to have that mindset one day at a time, one bite at a time, one opportunity at a time. You don't ask us to get too far ahead of ourselves, and you don't want us dragged down by the regrets of the past. So help us, Lord, to make peace with the past by just bringing it to you, and then claiming, redeeming the time that you have ahead of us, even beginning right now, today. Thank you for this opportunity. Help us to seize it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.